Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast. Where the only question is Does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Welcome to another episode of the Club Dub Football Podcast. This week, with no NFL games to talk about, we're going to change our format slightly. And with the Super Bowl still a week away, we're going to focus on news that affects a number of the other 30 teams in the NFL who aren't preparing for the biggest game of the year. In particular, we're going to look at the seven teams who've made coaching changes since the end of the regular season. All of those teams had one thing in common, namely that they ended with losing records. And we're going to pick out the coaching changes that we think will make the biggest difference and tell you who we think will be spending more of their time next season in Club Dub. Elvis! Elvis! Hey, Elvis! Elvis! I'm Rob Rose, and I'm now going to be joined by JB, PB, and Aldrin as normal to talk through this coaching carousel. So, on with the show. So, welcome, gents. Hello. Hello. And we are here to pull out the highlights from seven coaching changes. And let me give you the runners and riders before we kick off. So our seven coaching changes since the end of the regular season are the Jacksonville Jaguars, who take Urban Meyer, the Jets take Robert Sala. The Falcons take Arthur Smith from the Tennessee Titans. The Chargers landed on Brandon Staley. The Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Sirianni. And very recently, the Texans add David Culley. Last but by no means least, the Detroit Lions go for Dan Campbell. I think you mean Jeff Bridges. Looks like the dude himself from the Big Lebowski, doesn't he? even sounds like him we'll add rob rob can add the laughs there for you (laughs) i have selected the houston texans to be fair to the texans it's not a fantastic setup i think talking about some of the less positive points is is something that we need to acknowledge The Texans in the draft this year don't pick until pick 67 in the third round. So that's no first and no second. They have hired a head coach who with over, I think, four decades of experience, nearly first started coaching in 1978 as the running backs coach for Austin P. University. He's worked under Andy Reid. He's worked under John Harbour, obviously, in Baltimore. He's got a wealth of experience, which I think is something that the Texans are going to need. The Texans last year talked about the culture of the club. They talked about changing that and bringing it in. And I think it starts with the experience of a head coach like David Cully. It starts with the experience of success that the GM they've bought Uh, Nick Cesario from New England. The obvious key uh, key talking point right now is franchise quarterback Deshaun Watson. I think take Watson away from that club and you have a very, very, very drastically different setup. It's something that you would want that first round pick to have in the bag ready to pick up his replacement. But you can't deny the talent of a lot of of a lot of the pieces they've got. Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, for all of their difficulties in staying fit and staying on the field, still give you game-changing plays when you need them. On the defensive side of the ball, you've got Bernardrick McKinney and you've got JJ Watt. And again, the injuries he's faced, you can never count out JJ Watt from being a difference maker. The real thing that I have in mind for putting the Texans forward here, basically, they're at the very bottom. The only way is up, baby. I think you're set up for a challenge, but you're set up in the perfect kind of position to be able to bring in who you want, bring in what you need. We're talking about lack of draft picks, but Deshaun Watson, if they do end up trading him, is going to command something akin to the Herschel Walker trade. And historically you look at how the Herschel Walker trade impacted the Dallas Cowboys if they can pull off something like that and bring in that level of player in 
two, three seasons time, we could be talking about the Houston Texans as one of the best teams in the league. And everyone is thinking, well, that kind of came out of nowhere. So uh, a few things for me, because there's a, a lot to chew over with the Texans. I mean, I think one of the things in the announcement when they hired David Cully was that he's the kind of coach that players love. And you you kind of felt that with everything rumbling in the background, that that, that was something that they were going to look to address. The only problem I guess I have is that even if you add in a David Cully and you said, you know, so much of the culture of a football team starts with the head coach, I just wonder if it does with the Texans. When Deshaun Watson's going to ask for a trade, he's sitting in somebody's office. And at the time, it wasn't David Cully. You know, there's a, a number of people that are leading and guiding that organisation that, that players don't seem to trust you know, anymore. And do you know what? You, you kind of make an interesting point, however, about with the Texans, the only way is up. And again, if I was going to look at a silver lining of all the years to not have draft picks, and I mean, like you say, to have what one, two in the in the first 100 selections, maybe this year is the year to do it. You know, with the cap being so different next year, with so many teams having to cut so many players and make so many savings, maybe free agency and, and maybe the moving and the shaking that teams will be able to do this offseason could be you know, just what the Texans need, you know, a, a reboot that they never thought they'd be able to achieve. As you say, I mean, I'm of the view that Deshaun Watson is, you know, if that trade was to happen, that would be meteoric. I mean, we've seen elite quarterbacks move before, but there's always been a reason. You know, if you look at Peyton Manning, um, if you look at Drew Brees, even going back that far leaving, they've left in circumstances where they're coming off injury. You know, nobody quite knows what's coming back to a starting lineup with that type of player. Deshaun Watson is a bona fide top five quarterback in the NFL, hands down. This guy is healthy. This guy has his best years ahead of him. He is an absolute superstar. And Herschel Walker is, is a, I guess, a comparison of sorts. But we're talking about a running back in a sport where the quarterback makes the biggest difference. And, you know, you're right. I think they get all of those picks they're missing back and then some if they traded him away. But it, it does seem to me to be a really interesting seesaw. If, if they can keep him, I think their chances are better because with all of those picks, you could still be waiting 25 years, 30 years to get someone like Deshaun Watson back in the building. I think you're making a good point about the importance of the quarterback position. And one of the things we have discussed on the podcast and off it is the uh, quarterback merry-go-round that we're about to see. We are talking about Matt Stafford is going to be available to people. Alex Smith, by the sounds of it, is potentially not going to return to the Washington football team. He might be available. Jimmy G is being talked about as being available because the 49ers are evaluating the quarterback position. Uh, Sean McVay isn't entirely sold on Jared Goff anymore, and we might have a competitive competition between Goff and Wolford in training camp. The Steelers today have talked about, well, we'd love to have Ben Roethlisberger back if there's a way to work it out. That kind of, that's five six off the top of my head that we are potentially talking about that could be available Kirk Cousins another one so Deshaun Watson is not someone out of that list that I will I would necessarily say oh yeah I'd absolutely take Alex Smith instead I think in the same way that we talked about Aaron Rodgers on last week's preview show Deshaun Watson is the straw that stirs every single drink in that Texan stadium and you cannot replace that easily if you can set up a good team around someone, if you put Matthew Stafford as he was the, as the first one, I think the primary one that's available, put him in that Texans team in that Texans offense. And I think you've got something that you could still win football games with. That's a really good point. But I, I think when we were talking before, the one thing for me, when, you know, when Rob said you get all those picks back, I think that for me is the big difference maker because unlike that, walker trade the texans have got nothing this year anyway so getting a first round pick is great and potentially landing spots are been talked at like the jets for instance so you could get the second pick this year but you're only getting a pick back for what you've already lost you're not adding capital to what you already have i think it's a good point there's so many quarterbacks available now if they were to lose to sean watson and you're going to get a king's ransom for him whatever happens you're going to get first round picks galore you can pick up a serviceable quarterback such as cousins or somebody of that ilk you know that you can bring in and who can start immediately my only concern for the texans is and endemic from that whole organization but 
I just don't think a new coach with no head coaching experience, potentially no quarterback going into early weeks of the off season or what have you just don't see them bouncing back. I, uh, if anything, I can see this year being an absolute down year, even worse than they've experienced this year. You lose Watson. Who wants to go to the Texans? Do you know what I mean? When you, when you lose that iconic quarterback, who, who wants to go there? I'm kind of the, the opposite view in a way to you there. I think, I mean, there's no argument from me. I mean, Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback in the NFL. It, you know, if not top three, he's, he's easily up there. And I think you surround him with some better parts than he's had in, in Houston. Then, you know, he's a potential Super Bowl winning quarterback. But for the Texans right now, I don't know if, you know, if they can get two or three first round picks, considering that they traded so much away, you know, and, and really build from the bottom up, which is arguably what the new GM and, and the new head coach might want to do, then I think that almost might be the better option for them. So if they can get, you know, get the King's ransom that they want, they've already, whoever wants to, to trade for him has already got a bit of buying power in their pocket, knowing that he wants out. But, you know, if, if someone is willing to pay what the Texans want for him, so two or three first round picks, for example, and, and you know, depending on what team you look at, you look at the Jets, for example, would they offer Darnold and, and a couple of first round picks? You know, it, it starts to look a little bit rosier for the Texans. They're obviously not going to have a quarterback of an equivalent standing is Deshaun Watson, but by taking him away and building up some other areas, does that actually work better for them as a team? See, now, for, for me, there's there's two quick points to pick up on. Aldrin, you made a point about will quarterbacks want to go there? You know, will a lot of players want to go there with everything that feels like it's going on? Again, the silver lining, and I think it's only a silver lining for the Texans, is remember a trade is a trade. If you get traded, if you're Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions trade you to the Houston Texans, you get no say at all where you go. As much as we've said there are quarterbacks available in JB, you just just gave a, a huge list, but you did miss one, um, which is Dak Prescott. And if you imagine a scenario where, say, you know, a Deshaun Watson's out, um, Dak Prescott's in, I think those are similar quarterbacks. I think I'd give Watson the the edge, but I think they're, again, elite level top tier quarterbacks we're talking about. And also, if they were to trade away um, Deshaun Watson, they trade away a monster contract they've just given him as well. Will free up the kind of money to maybe go out and be aggressive in free agency. But I think I'd probably just come back round to, have we seen anything to say that we would trust this organisation with draft picks? We would trust this organisation with salary cap space? You know, where are the green shoots here? Because I still think you could give them as much rope as they need and they could just simply end up hanging themselves with it. The counter that I have in my head to those kinds of things is looking at another AFC South team in recent years. And that's the Tennessee Titans. I don't want to dismiss them as a joke, but they have been an organization that has had questions from the top down. They hired Mike Vrabel in 2018. And what Vrabel came in and did was rebuild the team, rebuild the organization and give them an identity. From 2019, they ran behind Derrick Henry. But the thing to consider that I think a lot of people forget is Derrick Henry was drafted in 2016. And all of a sudden it was Vrabel that potentially unlocked what the Titans were going to do. The Titans have also been motivated by the insertion of uh, Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback. And we've talked about this. We talked about this, I think, when we watched the uh, the wildcard game. Who expected Ryan Tannehill to go to the Titans and do what he did? It was just the perfect marriage of a player who needed a scheme that supported what he was good at doing and needed that opportunity to prove that he could do it. So when we talk about who's going to go to the Texans, who's going to who's going to be the figure, the Texans have it in them to be the next Titans. They're talking about, I think, retaining the offensive coordinator, but doing something with Josh McCown, which I think is is great, because one of the things they talk about have talked about frequently with Josh McCown as a backup quarterback is he's like another coach that's there. You think about how many years he's been in the league, how many teams he's played for, how much experience he has. They're talking about bringing Lovey Smith in as the defensive coordinator. And for as much as you can say about his successes and failings as a head coach, you can't argue with his successes on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I almost want to refer this back to the Patriots, Patriots historically. You know, the Titans are in the Texans division. One of the things that's not really in the Texans' favour is that this Titans team, that, as you said, has been completely 
you know, reborn and, and looks like a perennial playoff team, you know, along with a lot of other pretty talented AFC teams are going to be rolling into Texas, you know, pretty much every other week for those divisional games. And I think we've seen with what the Patriots did to the other teams in their division for what the best part of two decades, that isn't always a recipe for those struggling franchises to bounce back. Um, JB, do you see the Texans in 2021 ending the regular season with a winning record? Yes. So you're putting the Texans in club dub for 2021. PB, how do you feel about it? No, no chance. They're not going to make the playoffs next year. Arguably, will they make the playoffs the year after? You know, I don't know. I just can't see it. I think they they were poor at the start of this season. I think they kind of got better and got into it in some close games, but... I just don't see, and especially if they trade Watson away, I just don't see that they've got enough there and a good enough coaching appointment to really turn it around there. I just think the vibe around the whole place is, is bad at the moment. I'm, I think they're going to miss the playoffs again next year. Aldrin? No, not for me either. I don't think, I think like you said, give them enough rope, they'll hang themselves again. Yeah, I think I've I've probably got them feeling closer to next year's first overall pick than they are to playoff football. So with one down, that means three to go. And I'm handed over to you, Aldrin, to talk to us about your choice. Mine is one of the most intriguing ones, I think, the Jacksonville Jaguars. One of the most intriguing franchises, certainly in terms of the options that they've got this year. And I really do think that's one of the most important things to, to talk about in terms of that head coach hire to start with. I think this year the Jags have got 11 picks, four of which are in the first two rounds. And obviously the crucial one being the number one pick in the draft, which we all know is more than likely going to be Trevor Lawrence is the main reason why they have lured Urban Meyer to be the coach this year. And I think that's a real key point for me, just because Meyer's had interest at NFL level for a number of years. He's had so much success at collegiate level, three-time Div 1 national champions, twice at Florida, once at Ohio State, great success at the college level. And always kind of flirted with the NFL, but never taken a role, never been given a role necessarily. So he brings a lot of intrigue is the word, I think, because it's it's an intriguing one to see how the Jacksonville Jaguars do. For me, it's a very sensible appointment. I think the marriage between Urban Meyer and that Trevor Lawrence presumptive number one pick is going to be really interesting. Obviously, that's what has drawn Meyer to the role. But also, I think that will hopefully excite Lawrence and give him some confidence that he's going to go into into an organization that is on the up. The, the big thing with Urban Meyer is he's proven program builder. He did it at Florida. He's done it at Ohio. And that is exactly what this Jacksonville Jaguars team needs. They need a complete rebuild almost. I was I was going through their, you know, their roster and thinking, where do they need help this year? And I think there's so many spots you've got. Obviously, they've not had a a franchise quarterback in decades and I think they're going to get one of the the most exciting ones I think you know Lawrence has been talked about as a as a number one draft pick since even before high school you know he's been kind of teed teed up as that that top level quarterback prospect and certainly from what I've seen of him at Clemson the last couple of years he's done absolutely nothing to dispel that he's looked exceptional I know he didn't look great in that last um the last game against Ohio State when Justin Fields arguably outplayed him. But he's he's tall, he's athletic, he gets the ball out fast, he's got good pocket awareness, he's exciting. So I think that brings that team up leaps and bounds to begin with. But then they've still got problems at cornerback, defensive tackle, safety, D-end, tight end. I think at the minute you've got Tyler Reifer as their tight end number one. So, you know, they're going to have to find options there but um yeah for me such a there's so much buzz about the jacksonville jaguars i think so many picks so much cap room you know an exciting young not young coach but a new coach to the nfl so it's going to be interesting to see what happens so a quick question from me you talk about a program builder and i guess we've got what matt rule um a year ago coming into the panthers was kind of a, a similar vision and a kind of similar narrative do you see any eventuality where the jaguars either don't take Lawrence does does Fields even come into the equation or end up trading away that first overall pick but there's going to be a lot of other teams like we said who very much like Trevor Lawrence running out on their field you know for week one if you're looking at a long-term project do you see any way at all they trade that away not in a million years I don't on a, on a personal level and I think just the talk that's come out of Shad Khan 
in terms of, you know, we need a franchise quarterback. All of that build-up was way before that Clemson-Ohio State game. I think we all know that Lawrence is the number one draft pick and he's been touted as such for the last few years. And I, I don't see the reason I, I kind of called it out early doors is I think the reason that Urban Meyer is there is because they have the number one pick and can take Trevor Lawrence. I, I agree. I think the number one pick by default makes the Jacksonville Jaguars one of the destinations to watch and one of the setups to watch as we go forward. I think, I say, what I've had in my mind though, ever since you started talking was about how Lawrence is one of the best prospects we've seen in years, you know, one of the best in let's say a decade or something like that. That was how everybody talked about Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck went to the Colts and what happened? They broke him because the team was not set up for success around him. The offensive line was neglected. The defense wasn't built upon. And eventually it just got to the point where he said, I've had enough. I'm out. Good luck, everybody. And it's only in recent years with the work of Chris Ballard and I think the the work of Frank Reich that the Colts have been able to overcome that. Picking Trevor Lawrence at number one is such an obvious thing like everybody must see that happening it should be the only guaranteed thing in the draft the key for the jags the key for meyer and the staff he builds around him are right how do we make sure that we get this guy set looking at the jags roster there are some points they're going to need to expand upon so of their starting wide receivers dj chark is the only one i think that's still under contract for next year so they're going to need some wide receiver help. They've got LaVisca Chenault as well. They drafted him last year. He looked, I wouldn't say elite, but he looked very good after the catch and, you know, looks like a, a bona fide wide receiver one or two. And I think the thing with the Jags is they've got a lot of holes, but they've also got a lot of bright spots. You know, they they stumbled across Robinson at running back this year, who's looked like a real top level running back can play that three down role. They've got DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault at wide out and they look pretty exciting and certainly with a a more elite quarterback let's say than the kind of merry-go-round slash circus that they've had this year on defense they've got some real exciting players that they they drafted last year and played a hell of a lot of snaps so i do think there's there's optimism there i i, I agree i do think they've got you know they've got a lot of holes to fill but with 11 picks and 73 million in cap room i think with somebody like maya who will want to build and who will know what kind of direction he wants to take that team and knows where the gaps are you know you don't have to be a a genius to see the spaces that they have at cornerback safety but with that number of picks and with that number of cap room number i i don't even think the jags can mess it up this year do you think free agents are going to want to go into that environment though they've got a head coach forgive me if i'm wrong but i don't think urban mayor's coached in the nfl before so a rookie head coach albeit you know he's a lot older than a normal rookie head coach um, he's had great success in the college game, but but you know we don't know how that's going to come across into the NFL. There's arguably cultural issues with the Jags as well. I mean, you know, some a number of the players, so Ramsey, for example, Fournette, you know, wanted to leave town. I don't know what the situation's like in the locker room there at the moment, but they won one game this year, so you, you'd say it's it's not a winning culture at least. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to come in and he's going to be a big boost to them, but they're going to need to put some parts around him, and in addition to that, they're going to need to put some people in there with a winning mentality. You know, you can see with a number of teams around the league, when you put somebody in who's got that winning mentality, who's been there before, who's done it before, the impact that that can have. And I think the Jags, in addition to all their cap space, in addition to having the number one pick, they're going to have to look to, to bring that in, in in free agency. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how much of an attractive prospect that is. I think the addition I'd have to that, and and again, it's kind of the same silver lining, as I said, with the Texans, They've got cap room in an off season where no one has cap room. You know, there is there is not enough money to go around and there will be, you know, talented players who are not going to sit out 2021, you know, and they're going to have the phone ring and have their agent pretty excited about the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars is one of the few teams that can afford to pay them properly or interested. Yeah, and I know we touched on that winning mentality, but I think somebody like Trevor Lawrence coming in, you know, he's used to, playing in championship games, Urban Meyer's used to winning them. So, you know, I think those two at the head of your organisation, really, they create that excitement and they create that winning mentality. There's no guarantees about Lawrence either. I mean, he looks like an absolute stud. And, 
you would assume he's going to come in and, and play really well and, and really lift that team up. But, you know, he could come in and look like a Ryan Leaf or a Christian Hackenberg. Or I don't, I don't disagree, but those, those are far fewer than, you know, when you hear Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck touted as that kind of caliber of quarterback coming out of college. And then they absolutely live up to that. I think Phil's right. If Blake Bortles can't make it in Jacksonville, who can? So let's go around the room then. So Aldrin, this was your shout. So I'm working on the assumption that what you're about to tell us about the Jags is you see them in club dub in 2021. Yep, definitely. Certainly way more than the the Texans, obviously same, same division. So yeah, I, I can see them being really exciting and, and making a push like they did the other season. PB. It's a tough one. I think they've got a better chance than the Texans do. I think if you're asking me who's more likely to to make the playoffs out of the Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'd absolutely have to say the Jacksonville Jaguars. But I think if you look at their division, you know, there were two playoff teams in that division this year, the Colts and the Titans. And I, I can't see the Jags overtaking either of those teams. So no, for me, they're not, not a playoff team next year. JB, I am also going to say no. I don't think the Jags are there yet. I think we are a year or two away from seeing that kind of success. And I'll leave it up then, Aldrin, I'm with you. In a year where there's so much talent out there and they've got money to spend, I'd, I'd rather be in the Jaguars' shoes than maybe a Colts or, or Titans. Um, I think they could do it. PB, talk to me about the coaching change that you think puts a team in club dub. Um, I'll be talking about the Chargers hiring of Brandon Staley as head coach. So former Rams defensive coordinator. Hopefully you'd think it should be a relatively easy transition for him, seeing as how his new team shares brand new SoFi Stadium with his old team. Um, But on announcing the signing, general manager Tom Telesco talked about Staley possessing a tremendous football mind, but also his ability to tailor and communicate his concepts to his players. And I think that's important you know, for a new head coach, you want to be able to easily communicate and get across to your players the, the new schemes that you're putting in place. At 38, he's another youthful head coach. And I'm sure the Chargers are going to hope for a similar effect that the Rams have seen since appointing Sean McVay. And I, I can see that with this kind of hiring. You know, Sean McVay, you'd argue, is probably more of an offensive um, appointment than, than Staley is for the, Ram, uh, for the Chargers, sorry. But I think it's it's a similar kettle of fish. You know, he's, he's a young guy, that, you know, being able to relate to, to the players that are there. So he was with the Rams for only one season, but he coordinated the league's number one defense in terms of scoring, pass defense and total defense this season. A number of their players had um, career highs in sacks. So, you know, he's, he's coming off the back of a successful season, although the Rams lost in the, in the divisional round. He certainly comes with, albeit only one season, but... A, you know, a, a good potential record. Personally, I think the Chargers were probably the most or one of the most attractive teams with a head coaching vacancy this offseason. You know, they've got a stud quarterback who broke rookie records. I think I would arguably say that he has emerged as the leading quarterback of his draft class over Tua Tungavailoa and, and Joe Burrow. You know, Joe Burrow obviously unfortunately got hurt, you know, even before then. I think as, as soon as he came into the team, Justin Herbert was looking phenomenal. And the Chargers were hampered with significant injuries on their D this year. You know, in particular, I think Derwin James missed the whole season. So, you know, they were missing big players for some key times. Um, and if you look at their offense as well, you know, they've got Keenan Allen. He's a clear number one receiver. I don't think there's any argument about that. Hunter Henry is a, another strong player for them at tight end. Um, and as we've already mentioned, you know, Justin Herbert looks like an absolute superstar. In some markets, he's the smart money to be MVP next year. You know, we, we talk about them as not being a playoff team this year, but if you look at their record, they were seven and nine, um, but they played a lot of close games and a better decision here or there, and they could have been a playoff team. So just taking a look at their nine losses, seven of them were one score games. Two of those went to overtime and they were against the Chiefs and the Saints, you know, two of the top teams in, in the regular season. And there are only two score losses or more were against the Bills, which was by 10 points, you know, who, who made the conference championships. And, a, you know, an absolute anomaly, a complete blowout 45 nil against the Patriots. So your point is exactly bang on. And it's why, you know, I, when I was thinking about you know which coaching changes make the biggest difference, the charges are right up there for me as well, because they're so close already. Like you said, they're really close. Little details in some of those games and it's completely different. You know, clock management was abysmal from the charges. And that's what led to some of those close losses. Like you say, injuries on defense doesn't help. Derwin James was, you know, is 
a real exciting defensive talent and, you know, missing for a lot of the past couple of seasons. But I do think that, you know, Staley coming in, if he just improves that defence a little bit and makes slightly smarter decisions, then, you know, what do you say, seven and nine, they quite quickly jump up to being the reverse of that or better. You know, I think Herbert is phenomenal. I called it early doors and said that I thought he was the best quarterback of the class. He can make all the throws. He's athletic. I think if they get that run game just that little bit better, you know, they were predictable under Lynn. And I think somebody like Eckler can be exciting and they've got players in and around him that couldn't drive that run game on. So bang on points. And I, I do think they'll be a really exciting team this year. And we can't overestimate how poor their special teams were this year. They were historically bad. It was the third worst unit ever tracked. You know, that tells a story. And part of that is down to decision-making. They made some stupid decisions in games when it came to, to special teams. But, you know, that's a, a quick fix. And if you can improve your special teams, you know, even a little bit, if they improve their special teams 50% on where they were this year, you know, a lot of those three-point, four-point, five-point games that they lost will quickly turn around into, into wins. So I think Eckler has kind of ridden as their number one back for the last two seasons. But personally, I think he fits more that Darren Sproles, Danny Woodhead role that the Chargers have used historically of kind of your sp- uh, smaller satellite back who can sort of come in for third downs, can play a role in the passing game. He doesn't necessarily have the size that you'd want for someone running between the tackles. So I think it is going to be a key to establish that and, and use that to help Herbert out and stop putting the game on his shoulders because I think one of the reasons he had such an uh, such an an excellent historic rookie season like we said is he kind of had to he had to throw the ball a lot he had to make those decisions it's a sign of his talent and his skill that he did but he was put in that position because he didn't really have a choice not to the other consideration is I think the roster is very much a double-edged sword Herbert uh, Joey Bosa Keenan Allen, we've said we've talked about Eckler. I think Joshua Kelly, I think their rookie from this year, he was fantastic as well. They've got really good pieces. However, on the other side of that, they also have a lot of free agents at the moment that they're going to need to retain. Melvin Ingram, Hunter Henry, Denzel Perryman, to to name a couple. So if I take the points raised and just add my two pennies worth, I mean, I think on the one hand, you're all right. I think we're talking about a playoff team in terms of talent. And the head coach lost his job because they never made it there. But I also think that you guys have pinpointed real issues on ultimately offense and special teams, and they've hired a defensive head coach. That that would be to some degree my concern. Now I I kind of see what you mean about what a great year he had last year. And you know, when he came in, I think there was an awful lot of you know, raised eyebrows really at such an inexperienced coach, even at coordinator level, you know, coming in to, to basically lead that unit for the Rams, even though I maybe have some kind of concern about a defensive coach being chosen. The talent there is just, you know, it is just so good. I mean, Herbert, you guys have mentioned, I won't go any further, but I mean, Keenan Allen, I mean, that guy is such a safe pair of hands for a young quarterback. Um, I'm with you, Aldrin. I think when it comes to Eckler at running back, I think the problem is just they were too too predictable. I think if you're running first down every time Eckler off tackle, that's going to do nothing. I think, JB, you made the point about the fact he might be best used. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with you used less, you know, as a third down back, but maybe split more evenly the time when he carries the ball and has the ball thrown to him. I think out the backfield, he's, he's definitely got that about him. Yeah, I do. look, I, the reason I picked them is because I think they're, they were the most attractive proposition in terms of a head coaching vacancy this year. And I think, you know, they've made one of the most exciting appointments in terms of a young, you know, a young guy who's just run the, the best defense in, in the league this year. So, you know, it's, it's a really interesting prospect and I think it's going to be exciting to watch. So PB, I'm going to throw over to you. And as you were nominating them, I'm guessing that you're going to tell us that you are putting the LA chargers into club dub. Yeah, look, I think the Chargers are probably set better now than they were at this time last off-season when there was a fair bit of buzz about them being on hard knocks. 
Um, it was unfortunate circumstances for Terod Taylor to be injured and Herbert to come in, but actually I think that's worked in their favour. You know, he's looked incredible this year and it, he'll be, you know, a year better off than he would have been if he, if he sat behind Taylor all year. Rolling around the room then. Aldrin, your thoughts? Yep, yeah, I'm with Phil on this one. I think almost any coach could have come in and made that team exciting and, you know, with Herbert at the helm there, they're on their way up so yeah absolutely for me definitely on on the uh, on the upside and jb uh yeah three for three absolutely think the Chargers have got it in them to do so much better yeah I, th- I think i'll make it four for four i think ultimately playoff talent already the head coach was probably the limiting factor so there you go the Chargers, the first team to get a clean sweep across the group so now it rolls over to me, and I was last to pick my team and was amazed that when I looked at the options still available to talk about for key comeback years, I was left with the opportunity to talk about the New York Jets. So if I was to take the best bits, the highlights, the most important factors from your arguments about the Chargers, about the Texans, and about the Jaguars, you're about to hear a lot of similar themes. If I talk about the Jets, well, let's talk about the fact that they are, again, absolutely loaded with draft capital this year, picking six times in the top 98 picks. That includes two picks in the first round, obviously that high pick at 34 in the second round, and again, two in the third. But if you start to look at the fact that they've got these draft picks, that's really only the tip of the iceberg because those draft picks might be added to should they decide to move on from Sam Darnold. And if I think about the quarterback questions that some of these other franchises we've talked about on this pod have got, I think Sam Darnold is among the more interesting because actually I don't think the Jets are necessarily better off or worse off with him or without him. I really can see a route to success whichever way they go. So let's start firstly with Sam Darnold staying a New York Jet and what they can do. So it's interesting you guys are talking about uh, Joe Burrow, the draft class from from last year with Tua, and obviously, you know, we've already talked about what a difference it made for the Chargers. What if I told you that Sam Darnold at 23 years old, um, a full year younger than Joe Burrow, despite the fact he's had longer in the league? So Darnold, although he's been in a very difficult position, I'm not sure anyone really enjoys the season that the Jets have just had. We're talking about a guy who has flashed enough talent and has league experience that I think gives him an advantage over a Burrow or a Tua, for example, why I pick them out specifically. Now add the fact that even though, like the Chargers, we're looking at a team that have bought in a defensive-minded head coach in Salah, and I'll, I'll come back to his appointment and why I think that's such a plus. We're looking at an OC in Mike LaFleur that I think, again, is very, very well thought of and holding very held in very high regard. An absolutely brilliant coup to get him in the building. You then look at who Salah's been able to bring with him from the 49ers, and the big one is Miles Austin, kind of the famous near journeyman wide receiver that recently has been um, head of offensive quality over in San Francisco. And you look at what he was able to do with a makeshift almost like a really revolving door of wide receivers that came in and out of the 49ers starting lineup last season. I think he's a guy moving to wide receiver coach now in New York who could make a difference. You know, a lot of people look at Joe Douglas and think he's part of the old guard. Um, The fact that, what, not much more than 12 months ago, they brought in Joe Douglas at GM. I think that can be seen as another positive because Joe Douglas is not the kind of person who makes... Um, swift decisions. I mean, we've seen that by the fact he kind of rode out what was a horrendous um, season last season with Adam Gase, but he, he wasn't, you know, emotive or emotionally stuck with that. And he saw that process through to its conclusion. And then, like I say, add to the fact they've got these huge number of draft picks, add to the fact that they've got $63 million of cap space. So when you were talking about the Jags at what, 73 old we're talking about a team that are not far behind at all here. I think the Jets have the best of everything. I mean, imagine a world where Sam Darnold is traded away. I think those six picks in the top 98 probably become, what, eight, nine? You know, if they end up taking twos and threes, possibly even arguably ten. If you're in a rebuild position, 
well, which route do you want to take? You've got a quarterback that's proven good enough to be a bona fide starter. And if he was traded away, I think would be a bona fide starter somewhere else in week one. You've got the ability to add quality players in what is looking a pretty good draft. And remember of these six picks in the top 98, one of them's at two. You know, if you've got a team who really like the look of somebody and whether it's Fields or, or whether it's, you know, one of the other highly touted prospects, you don't need an awful lot to go right for you as the New York Jets for that phone to ring and for you to end up with even more capital in your pocket. So in other examples that we've talked about, I've said that capital isn't always a recipe for success. You know, I said about the Texans and it, it ultimately depends on how you use it. So let's come back round to the appointment of Salah as head coach. Um, when he did his presser, um, he made a quote about the fact that he wanted the team to play um, fast, to be hungry, you know, and he wanted to bring youth into the team. You know, thinking about it again, almost like the long-term project we've heard you guys talk about with, with Meyer in Jacksonville, for example. But the thing that stands out there when you talk about young, hungry, and fast as your key three points, that means he's going to simplify one of the more convoluted, and ineffective playbooks in the NFL that Gaze was rolling out for, you know, 17 weeks last season. And I think that alone makes a difference. That I think in New York, you were in a big media market. We talked about Sean McVay in, in, in LA, and, and that would be another. You need to be a press-friendly face. And Salah, a guy that wears his heart on his sleeve, bounces up and down on the sideline, you know, absolutely gets everyone around him going. I think he's just such a brilliant fit for that organization. I mean, you know, we, we talk a lot and it's mentioned so much when people talk about the NFL, that when you hire a head coach, they often look for whatever their previous head coach, the departing head coach didn't have, you know, you, you hire the opposite, you hire their antidote almost. Well, Adam Gaze, that lethargy, that dull nature, that defensive nature that he had is gone. And it just feels like in that appointment alone, you have just breathed new life into the New York Jets. And I think, you know, in any other time in the last 20 years, I'd have said they'll be chasing the Patriots the same way I suppose the Chargers will be chasing the Chiefs, but not this year. You know, I can absolutely see the Jets going from zero to hero and being, you know, division winners, running people like the Bills close. You know, the Dolphins, I probably think, are another team like the Jets who go in with a lot of high hopes. But I can absolutely see the Jets making playoff football next season. I think your points there on Salah and kind of the impact that he's going to have are probably the the biggest thing to talk about here. I think your point about Sam Darnold is probably second on that list, and we might come back to that. Talking about Salah's energy, uh, last season, so not season, just gone the season before, when it looked like Salah was going to be hired then, there were talk, you know, there was video footage of him running the stairs in the stadiums to to get into that kind of mindset of of the competition we uh earlier on we talked a lot about mike vrabel at the titans and the fact that if ever there was a, a retired player now coach who would still have it in him to put the pads on and give you a couple of snaps it's vrabel vrabel looked like he would absolutely run through a wall for his players and i think salah is going to be that same kind of figure for the jets those Jets wins that came last season, you saw in how the Jets behaved, were wins for themselves. They were not necessarily playing for the for the win. They weren't necessarily playing for not to be last. They weren't playing for the coaching staff. You could see from the interaction with the players that a lot of it was they were playing to, to the man next to them. And I think if Salah can come in and capitalise on that heart that the Jets have shown then I think they'll be incredibly successful. I was just going to touch on Rob's point about um, Sam Darnold. And I think it's really interesting that, as Rob said, are they better with or without him? You probably don't even know. But I do think it's it's something that would have been taken completely out of the equation if they hadn't shot themselves in the foot and won those couple of games towards the end of the season. I think it's a completely different conversation if they have the number one pick. Now, they have the number two pick, and that basically gives the – that's almost, in my mind, that's when the draft starts because you 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 just automatically assume Lawrence goes number one and then you you have the pick of Wilson or Fields or whomever at, at quarterback for that number two slot. So I do think that's a real interesting point. Darnold's still got a lot of upside, and, and like you said, Rob, he's still young. He's still 
coachable. I do not think that any team coached by Adam Gase gives you a solid foundation as a quarterback to learn and mono and injuries and stuff in between that kind of didn't help his progression. But I still think there's a hell of a lot of upside there. I was thinking earlier in the season as a Colts fan, I wouldn't mind taking Darnold. And I, I think you could you could see him easily becoming the kind of player that you might have expected of him when he was drafted real high. And, and there was a lot of expectation of him coming out of college. So I, I still think there's a lot of excitement there with him. And under the right under the right coach with the right direction and with a bit more stability i think he could become a linchpin and like you say if they trade away that number two pick to somebody that's desperate for you know their pick of quarterback they could easily put the weapons around him that he has not had and all of a sudden that offense becomes exciting salah makes the defense better it's yeah i think easily that that turns that franchise around in an instant if the worst case scenario is sam darnold and the best case scenario is somebody crosses your palm with silver and makes that decision really easy for you. There are coaches going into far worse situations this season. I think the point around consistency is incredibly valid and something that needs to be held in in mind when we're talking about this. We have seen constant coaching changes, constant coordination changes sink so many quarterbacks. Um, We've spent time talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think constant changes for the Jags sunk uh, Blaine Gabbert. It sunk Blake Bortles. And that consistency with what uh, Darnold on his second head coach and coordinator combination now, they need to get it right this time. I think keeping that in mind, there is good things and good examples to look at from Darnold's fellow draftmates. Darnold's taken third. First was taken Baker Mayfield. Mayfield has also went through two head coach and offensive coordinator combinations before settling this year with Kevin Stefanski. And the Baker Mayfield this year is markedly different from the the other Baker Mayfields that we've seen. And part of that is having a coach that will support him. The other consideration is the quarterback taken number seven that year. Josh Allen. I, th- I think the comparison to Baker Mayfield, I think Josh Allen is in a, a league of his own. I mean, that guy has arm talent like you wouldn't believe. I think the Baker comparison is better because for all the Kevin Stefanski wizardry, what they gave Baker this year was just a brilliant run game. And you just feel like Donald, particularly in the red zone, you know, if they had the ability to score on the ground as as well as through the air. I mean, if you think about the season just gone, how many times on you know, uh, third down inside the 10, did we see Darnold scrambling left, scrambling right, looking for receivers? I think if you can get smarter in key areas of the, of the field, I think that Darnold at quarterback conundrum could be um, could be easily solved. I do think not having to wheel out 58-year-old Frank Gore every third down is going to help them as well. I think you're bang on with that run game. They've just had absolutely zilch. And there are some exciting ones in the draft. You know, there's a few talented prospects. And like you say, they've got a lot of high picks. So they they've almost got their, their choice of whomever they want. A lot of free agents as well running back. I mean, uh, I think there'll be, you know, probably five or six to choose from that you really feel could be, again, a real step up for a team like New York. It comes back to culture again as well. And I think, you know, that the ship had sailed almost for, for Adam Gase when, with all the issues with Jamal Adams. Um, right at the start of the season and going to the Seahawks. And I think that just told you about what the atmosphere in that locker room was like. And I think, I can't remember which one, one of you guys mentioned it, but you were talking about the guys playing for the man next to them rather than for playing for, for the coach. So, you know, there's a been a big cultural issue there. And I think Salah's the right appointment to come in. You know, he's an animated guy. He's passionate. He cares about what he does. And I think he'll get that team on board. You know, all the people that want to be there and want to play for him will play for him. Uh, And all the people that don't, he'll get rid of pretty quickly. I don't think he's going to suffer any fools. So it's an interesting one. I think it's exciting. It's probably, if I was a Jets fan, it's probably the most exciting I would be for the last probably three, four, five years in terms of what that team's, what's going to happen with that team. You know, I don't think Darnold is a bad quarterback. And I think actually, if you put some stuff around him, I think he'd be successful. However, there's obviously a lot of buzz about them trading for Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Watson wanting to either go to the Jets or the Dolphins. So, you know, that's going to be one to watch. And I think if you put Watson in that environment, 
he's no better off than he would be at the Texans. I think you still need to put some parts around him. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. I think there's going to be some significant change um, in terms of the playing roster for the New York Jets for next season. I think that's going to be really interesting and really going to see, you know, the impact that Salah has had on that whole organisation. Yeah, I think whether it's Darnold, maybe add Crowder, I suppose, on offence that that feel like the the high points. I mean, a lot of potential on defence. I mean, CJ Mosley was obviously... You know, they absolutely made him one of the richest men in America for a reason, and we've we've not really seen it yet. But yeah, I can see this being a really exciting turnaround to watch. Yeah, I think Mosley had a, a good start to the season, didn't he? Didn't he have a, a couple of picks in the first game or something like that? And then he was injured for, for most of the rest of the year. So, you know, I think there's definite, if he can come back in that early season form that he showed in the first game before he got injured, then I think, yeah, he is a real bright point for them. So I think like the Jags, you've got, the chance to bring in some really talented rookies with some good picks, good positions through the rounds. The fact those contracts are cheaper, leaving your cap space to go out, make a splash in the positions where you feel you need. I think a bit like the Jags in a funny kind of way, there is just a recipe for success there. Um, So I'm going to say probably no great surprise with the diatribe you've heard that I'm going to put the New York Jets into the 2021 club dub. But now let's go around the room. Aldrin, or what do you think will become of the Jets? I think you might be right. I can. They're certainly not going to beat the Bills in the AFC East. But for me, the Dolphins have still got questions at quarterback. And well, ultimately, that, that question could be answered by Deshaun Watson either coming into the Jets or the Dolphins. It seems likely that one of those teams is going to end up with him if he does inevitably get traded but the Patriots have got problems there. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think that the Jets could easily be a team that finishes, you know, 10 and six or something like that and look well on the way to more success in the future. It's hard. I think this is the hardest one for me to call, you know, the, the Texans and the Jags, I think were absolute. No, I, I can't see it. The Chargers, obviously I, I said, yes, this is a real tough one. I mean, if you look at their division, the, the Bills you'd expect to make the playoffs next year. Miami, I think a lot of that is going to depend on, you assume they'll go with Tua as their starting quarterback next year. A lot's going to depend on that. And then who knows what's going to happen with the Patriots, with the Jets. I mean, you know, the Dolphins is even talk about them changing their quarterback. The Patriots are going to change their quarterback. The Jets, who knows what's going to happen with their quarterback. So to go from the, the second worst team in the league to then make the playoffs is a, without significantly overhauling the roster is a real stretch. I don't know. I, I just don't know if I can see it. I don't know. You know, Flores has got the Dolphins playing well. They play for him. They, they all talk about how good a coach he is. I think McDermott and the Bills, he's not going to let them slip back. So for me, I, I think I just can't see it next year. I think they're going to improve a lot. I think, you know, Salah's going to improve them substantially, but I just don't think they're going to improve enough. So what you're saying there, Phil, is you've very much gone through a head versus heart kind of decision making process there. There's no heart involved with this one. There's no Jets aren't in my heart. Um, I think the Jets will be better. Um, I think they have the the opportunity is there for a winning record. But I, I agree. I think the Bills, I think the Dolphins have probably got a bit too much for them at the moment. What happens with the Patriots? Because a, a consistently bad Patriots team, I don't think is something that anybody has really considered happening. And we are on the precipice of that. So it's a 50-50 split and the Jets, well, they only get my back in Aldrin's. Thank you ever so much for listening and apologies to Arthur Smith, to the dude Dan Campbell and for Nick Sirianni. We wish them all luck for the year ahead. Guys, I will join you in a week for the flagship show of the season. It's our Super Bowl preview. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you in a week's time. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends. The game is over. The game is over. It's Soleil, not Soleil, isn't it? The Jets coach. I'm pretty sure. I'm 99% sure it's pronounced Soleil. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> <laughs>